0: Welcome to the episode two of the Particular Baptist Podcast. I'm Daniel Vincent with my co host, John Cheatham. We have some uh, really good topics to talk about today. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, confessionalism versus biblicism, um, as well as a brief history of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. Um, And before we kind of dive into those topics, uh, we kind of wanted to talk about who we are and Um, I guess kind of the point of the show, um, I feel like, Sean and I both agree, we kind of put the cart before the horse and probably should have talked about this on the first episode. Um, But, you know, we're learning, Um, never done podcasting before, so this is uh, a learning experience for both of us. Um, So I guess I'll start off with myself. I'm Daniel Vincent. Um, I live in Northern Virginia. As is Sean, Um, we attend a Reformed Baptist Church um, up here in Northern Virginia. Um and we've been running the particular Baptist page. How long have you been on there, Sean?
1: Oof, that's a that's a good question. Um, Dan actually started the page and um he was running it himself. And at one point I just was like, Hey, do you mind if I post this thing to the page? And he was <laughs> yeah. like, sure. It was like, well, do you want to just be an admin then? I'm like, Yeah, sure. Why not? It
0: was very um, it was but, very seamless. <laughs>
1: yes. But it's been at least a year. Um, but I couldn't tell you more specifically than that. Actually, has it even been a year?
0: Um, so I started the page, the Facebook page in June of 2019. Oh, really? it was like so- right after I started my new job. Oh, wow. So I, yeah. Um, okay. and I started doing, I think it was just doing little memes, reform memes, if you will. Um, and that seemed to take off. And after Sean got on, we started, um, Posting uh, he started posting like articles and and things like that and and I was continuing the meme cycle um, and I think you did some memes as well, but then we started moving into um, getting a little bit more serious about the page and we started a blog the particular baptist dot um, net um, we started that a few months ago um, and then the podcast came along so you know it's been kind of uh you know slow in the making I guess but um it's, the page seems to be taking off and um yeah and this is just kind of adding on to that but that's kind of a background of who we are and really what we want to do with the show is use it as a platform to talk about biblical theology reformed theology uh we don't want it to be strictly polemical you know the last episode was polemical and and we want to do that um in a respectful um you know godlike way we're not using this platform to um, just poke at other brothers, as unfortunately we've seen in with other platforms. Um, we want this to be focused, uh, biblically centered, um, and use it to grow others in, in their faith. And maybe those who are new to Reformed theology, or are new to being in, uh, Reformed Baptists, um, or, or even um, all those in, in the Reformed faith can use this as an educational tool. So you know, that's kind of a a very high level background of, of our show and, and the particular Baptist, um, you know, and I guess going to our title, you know, what is a particular Baptist? Um, a particular Baptist that they were, um, very high level. And Sean can, we'll talk about this in a little bit more detail, but they were Baptists in early, um, 17th century England that distinguished themselves from general Baptist. General Baptists believed that the atonement of Christ was, um, applicable to essentially universally. A particular Baptists believe that the atonement was applied to a particular people, hence the particular and particular Baptist. So they believe that Christ died for the elect, not for all men. Um, and so there is that uh, distinguishing matter in the, uh, as it relates to their name. Um, and I know, Sean, you had something you wanted to add that as well.
1: Wait, Dan, you're saying that we're called the particular baptists because we're calvinists not because we're particular about things
0: oh yeah yeah that's exactly <laughs> what i'm saying
1: oh, I, I,
0: I, I i've even heard someone i think uh i don't know if you were on the page at the time but someone had said or made a joke about um our name and i don't think they really understood what it meant you know mm-hmm. saying like you know you, are you you know oh, how particular of you or something like that in relation to what we were saying but um mm-hmm. But yeah, it's kind of a strange name when you think about it kind of right off the bat. But yes, it has to do with us being Calvinists, us believing that this is what the scriptures teach about salvation, about sovereignty of God. Uh, so yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so getting into the history a, a little bit, um, there were Baptists in England before the particular Baptists. They were, they were the uh, general Baptists and they would be classified as Arminian. Um, but the particular Baptists started showing up, um, basically out of the independent congregations in England around the London area. Uh, the independents being Calvinistic themselves, but not necessarily wanting to be a part of the established Church of England, and um, a lot of these churches, um. I should say a lot of these member, the members of these churches slowly started uh, becoming Baptistic in their thought. They were of the opinion that wait, uh, we recognize that um, the covenant is applied, or it's only of the uh, members of the covenant that um, should be receiving the sign of baptism. Um, we recognize that just because you're a child of a believer doesn't automatically put you in the covenant. Um, so there was a little bit of uh, debate within the independent circles um, in the uh, 1640s. And I wanted to read uh, a statement. This is by uh, Murray Tolmey, I think that's how you pronounce his name from uh, his book, Triumph of the Saints. And um, he's he's quoting about this time where there's uh, basically a uh, a meeting was called to discuss about uh, the new particular Baptists and what the independents should think about them. Um, So this is from page 56 of that book. Uh, These men representing the whole spectrum of organized radicalism in London at this date, apart from the general Baptist, decided that Kiffin, Kiffin being a uh, a, um, uh, early particular Baptist leader, Decided that Kiffin and his associates were motivated by tender conscience and holiness rather than obstinacy, and that they should not be excommunicated or admonished. They also advised that the Jesse Church should regard the dissidents still as members and desire uh, conversing together so far as their principles permit them, unless they grow giddy and scandalous. William Kiffin's particular Baptist congregation thus came into existence with the blessing of separatist. And independent leaders alike, and uh, I like that. Um, that beginning for the particular Baptists, uh, it, it shows a lot of uh, uh, brotherly love there. That okay, you disagree with us, but we're still gonna regard you as brothers as brothers. And I uh, I hope to exude that um, same brotherly spirit towards my uh, pedo Baptist brethren, um, but. Yes, so originally um, Particular Baptists grew out of uh, the Congregationalists there, the Independents, and um, slowly uh, grew in number of churches. Um, And I don't know if you want to uh, jump in at this point and talk about maybe the English Civil War there, Dan, or something. But uh, essentially, uh, persecution does start to come down the the, uh, uh, road for the Particular Baptists.
0: Yeah, it did, Um, especially after, um, I think more so after the Westminster Assembly um, kind of gathered and and established, because the point of the Westminster Assembly was to reform the church in England um, through the means of government. You had the Puritans who were trying to have a tremendous influence on Parliament at the time, Um, and, and this did create some Um, some issues. There was, um, there were definitely ordinances passed. Um, I I think there was one and, um, I believe it was called the blasphemy ordinance. If I remember from reading Needham that forbade belief in, um, believers baptism, um, you could be in prison for life. Um, so there were, there were definitely implementations through the civil authorities, um, to really stamp out any opposition um, to certain beliefs that the government had placed down. Um, and, and this kind of gets into the whole topic of church and state, which we won't go into now, but there was definitely a difference there between the Particular Baptists and uh, the Westminster Divines, if you will.
1: Yeah, definitely. That, that's, that's one of the defining characteristics of Particular Baptists and Independents, their uh, view of church-state relations. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yep. Um, Did you have anything else to add, Sean? Well, just to get us up, basically, up to the
1: 1689 Mm -hmm. in terms of history, um, there was originally what was called the First London, what what is now called the First London Baptist Confession of Faith, um, and that was done by the Baptists at the time to submit to the Westminster Assembly uh, to basically show what the Baptistic beliefs were at the time. So that was a, a functional confession for a while um but uh during the period where essentially um being outside of the church of england was illegal um the baptists came up with uh the second london baptist confession of faith um in 1677 um however they weren't actually able to fully publish it because it was still technically illegal to be outside of the church of england um so it wasn't um published until 1689 which is why it's called the uh Second London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689 um 1689 being the year I think it's a, is it the glorious re- revolution where I might be I don't remember
0: that. yeah um but I do know that the significance of it being called the 1689 was um was really because of that's when it was adopted Um, You had the General Assembly of Churches that met in 1689, and they adopted this confession, um, which is believed by some, at least, I think, to be edited by Nehemiah Cox and William Collins, who were pastors at the Petty France Church in London. Um, um, So, yeah, uh, it was adopted by... Um, those those particular Baptist brethren in 1689, and it was really a way. That, I think Sean, in the same way as the original 1644 confession was the, the first London Baptist confession, it was a way to show the Pado Baptist brethren that this um, this belief system wasn't drastically different from theirs. We're we're on the same lines on on the core issues. You know, salvation election the person of christ the trinity etc um but we disagree like on baptism church polity church and state they, they wanted to i think show as much unity as they could but they wanted to note important differences that you know we're we count you as brothers but we're not on the same page with everything and here's why um so yeah exactly um the the the
1: lineage basically of the 1689 is um Uh, First, there was the Westminster, Um, Mm -hmm. then the independents, like John Owen, had their own, um, I guess you could say, assembly, and uh, they took the Westminster um, and modified it, modified the language to fit their beliefs, Um, and then they did uh, an addendum specifically about their church government uh, issues because they didn't feel that should be in the confession proper. Um, And then the the Baptists um, took the Savoy and the Westminster and the uh, 1644 London Baptist Confession of Faith and basically used those to come up with the 1689. Uh, As I recall, the statistic is that the 1689 is about 90% the same, same words as the Westminster. And that's to show obviously the unity between them. Although, I, I don't know if that's exactly the statistic, but it's some huge percentage that they're literally word for word the same. So, I'm looking at um, uh,
0: Renahan, James Renahan's book, uh, Toolkit for Confessions, Recovering Our Confessional Heritage. Uh, this is book four in the series of uh, Recovering Our Confessional Heritage. And he says, um, quote, in most cases, the second LCF, that's the London Baptist Confession second, follows the changes to the WCF, as Westminster, made by savoy though it does restore the readings from wcf about 11 times so it it basically follows the same structure and some of the language is exact um and if you do read the westminster confession and the the second london baptist confession of faith you're going to see almost exact verbiage in many places um i think your biggest differences are obviously going to be baptism um, you're going to see, and it depends on which version of the Westminster you read, because there are two different versions of that. Um, you're going to see differences in church and state. Um, you're going to see differences in church polity and ecclesiology, like how does the church function? How does it run? Um, that's going to be different as well. But yeah, it, it's essentially the same. Um, and it, I think that's very important to realize that our particular Baptist forefathers were not looking to um, separate themselves from presbyterians they were trying to show as much um unity as possible in a biblical way not in a in a way that leads them to be um compromising their beliefs or capitulating in any way but showing that they're brothers they love christ and they are preaching the true gospel but we want to make sure that we delineate our differences because we believe they're important Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah
1: Yeah, that that probably is a good spot to jump into, um, basically, okay, so there was a Baptist confession in London in 1689, why should people today hold to that as a confession? Or why should people today hold to a confession at all, let alone one from, you know, 300 years ago?
0: Yeah, um, and I think that that is, I think, even in reform circles, to some extent, um, I think a touchy issue. Um, because what it means to be confessional, it means you hold to a creed and that's what our particular Baptist forefathers, the Westminster divines, they wanted to have a creed or a written statement or some kind of, um, set in stone document of their faith, um, that codified their faith, show what they believe and show what their distinctives were. That's really what, um, it means to be confessional. You hold to a confession of faith. Um. You hold to a systematic belief system. Um, and I think that there are those who shy away from that and they try to say, well, no, we, we just need the Bible. We, we don't need confessions of creeds. Those are man-made documents. We don't need to worry about those. Um, and that's really, I think the two opposing views. Um, but it's, it's important that we have confessions because how are people going to know what we believe? If someone comes to our church Sean and, And they go to our website and they say, okay, great. The Reformed Baptist church, how does that distinguish them from a Lutheran church? You know, how how are they going to know that unless we have some sort of creed, some sort of confession in place that we say we ascribe to. Um, And that's why we have to, uh, that's one reason that we need to have creeds. Um, And what's ironic is those who deny creedalism, um, create kind of an implicit confession or creed in saying that you know they say um you know i don't believe in creeds i just believe in my bible well that is itself a creed you are stating belief in something um and that is kind of the i guess that's the irony and the achilles heel of that argument you're actually falling into the opposite position that you're trying to refute you're you're using it um uh, yeah, so it, it's important that we have creeds. They guide us. They keep us on the right path. We don't believe that creeds are infallible in the same way. Um, as, <clears throat> excuse me. As scripture, they're they are written by men um, who God used mightily. We we certainly don't hold it above scripture, but we believe they can help us to see what scripture teaches and what scripture. Um, has for us on core truths especially if you have difficult truths like you know the person of christ and and, um um, the hypostatic union for instance our confession talks about that specifically the two natures of christ and how does that uh relate to us and how can we understand that to some extent it breaks that down what does that mean deity of christ Um, what is the nature of the church etc um so those things help to they help to keep us from error Um, but we still hold that scripture is the rule for faith and practice. Um, confessions are not that standard. Um, but we believe that they can help to keep us in line with scripture, with what scripture teaches.
1: They also function as an effective summary of what we do believe. Um, I remember at some point we got a, a comment on one of the posts, um, when I believe you, Dan had, uh cited part of the confession as a a summary of what we believe. And somebody had commented, why are you quoting from the confession? Why don't you just quote from the Bible? And Mm. um, obviously the Bible is the superior, the infallible rule of faith. Uh, Right. But sometimes rather than quoting from the Bible, uh, it's, it's good to have an effective summary of what it is you think the Bible is teaching. So for example, I'd rather quote, from, I don't know, the Nicene Creed, we'll say, um, about what we believe about the Trinity Then listing 10 Bible verses and then explaining, okay, well, this demonstrates that Jesus is God and this Bible verse demonstrates that the Holy Spirit is God, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's just a, a simple, concise way of stating what you believe. And um, most people, well, people do have a systematic theology. It's just a matter of whether it's written down or not. Right. Um, people do have in their minds what they believe about who Jesus is or the relationship of Jesus to the father. Um, so for people to come and say, Oh, I don't, I don't, uh, want a confession or a creed. I mean, in in a sense that's fine. Um, but, recognize that you do still have a, a systematic um theology ours is just written down for people to examine and say oh you're wrong about this or oh you uh, I agree with you on this and that's that's helpful obviously for people to understand what we believe uh, it's all written out for people to examine
0: yeah it's it's definitely very helpful and um yeah it really sets us apart how how are people going to know what we believe you know it, All churches say they believe, at least I would, I got to be careful, not necessarily all churches, but I guess evangelicals uh, would say, you know, yeah, we believe the Bible is the word of God. um, But what do you believe about God? What do you believe about the scriptures? Do you believe that they are the infallible word of God? Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, you know, et cetera? You know, those things distinguish us from others. Um, and we have to be able to say what it is that we believe. Um, and and we see this very on, even in the early church, you look at the apostles creed, you look at the Nicene creed, um, these simple ways, because, um, information was passed, uh, orally in that time. You didn't have, I mean, people wrote things down, but, um, Christianity is a very oral religion. Um, I believe in, uh, at least in that time. So having a creed in place like that was an easy way for them to memorize the core essentials of the faith. You know, the Apostles' Creed: "I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His Son." Um, you know, you can confess the Trinity, um, the Gospel, and the person of and the uh, the deity of Christ, all in a few sentences, in a way that it is easy to understand. Easy to uh, formulate um, without having to pull up all the proof texts off the top of your head, um, especially in the early church when you didn't have um, necessarily a copy of the scriptures in your hand. Um, so those things were were very helpful uh, to the early church as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are afraid of confessions because they're worried that they may not agree with everything in the confession um and thus they don't want to be held to a standard that um they want liberty of conscience and and as baptists we understand that uh we do believe in liberty of conscience and we don't want to um say dogmatically you must um believe in things that are second and tertiary doctrines that don't Necessarily affects salvation, Uh, but at least with our church, and I happen to know Sam Waldron, uh, his church as well. um, So I think this is pretty common with uh, Reformed Baptist churches that you don't need to hold every single aspect of the confession to be a member of of, uh, Reformed Baptist church. Um, I know that walking in, uh, I think there was several paragraphs where I was either unsure about or, or disagreed with. Uh, and I was still allowed to uh, become a member. Um, so obviously, if it was something important, like you're disagreeing with uh, justification by faith alone or um, Jesus as a God, something like that would be grounds for, no, you're, you can't be a member. You don't even have the fundamentals of the Christian faith. But um, for people that might be concerned about uh, going to a Reformed baptism church because you need to believe in literally everything in the confession. That's not necessarily true.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Um, and that's a good point. Even at our church, um, we wouldn't call ourselves full subscription. Um, that doesn't mean we, we reject core doctrines, but there are tertiary issues that we um, you know, we specifically disagree with. Um, but, but as a whole, we hold to the the confession of faith. That, that's a good point. And I would even argue historically even at the 1689 assembly, I'd say there's good evidence um, that not everybody there agreed with um, the content of confession. I know it, Benjamin Keach, who was one of the signers of our con- of the Second London Baptist Confession, he had a falling out with some brothers um, at the assembly um, on psalm singing psalmati, or psalm singing only versus uh, singing hymns. He had a tremendous falling out and it was so bad that he had to actually go back and apologize to these brothers for the way he acted um so i, I think there's some historical evidence that we can see that there might not have been um full 100 percent monolithic agreement even among the signers and adopters of our confession about what it is because for instance with regards to hymns um it specifically says in there, um, talk about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and the Westminster, I believe, just talks about psalms. Um, so there's a clear distinction there um, from what I recall of the language um, between those um, those two items um, in the two confessions. So there appears to be a move towards um, pushing towards singing hymns, you know, in addition to psalms, not just exclusive psalmody, but there was a... A, a disagreement there at the assembly, um, so I, I would say that the historical evidence is strong to suggest that there wasn't 100% agreement even among mm-hmm. the adopters of our confession. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that's a good point, and and I th- I think there are brothers who do push for 100% adoption um, and, and see that as a requirement. I think um, the writers of the book I mentioned, uh, Recovering Our Confessional Heritage, I think would be along those lines um but yeah it, it's kind of a it's a balance that you have to strike i guess
1: yes exactly and um the 1689 itself doesn't say anywhere in there that you need to be in 100 percent agreement with this document um it's, it's not a it's not an enforced requirement like that um it's just um a very systematic statement of uh what we as particular baptists believe Mm -hmm. and um it's not exhaustive either obviously there's doctrines that uh we believe that aren't in there but it's just um but it is very thorough in talking about justification and uh, election and church issues it's a very um, helpful summary statement in that regard
0: yeah absolutely It's, it's just nice to be able to go to somebody and, you know, Hey, what do you believe? Or I want to know more about believing just, you grab a little confessional pamphlet and say, read this and come back with questions. But this is Mm -hmm. essentially what we believe. Um, Yeah. All right. Um, I I think that's all we have for today. Um, uh, And we'll plan to be back next Saturday um, as we uh, continue our journey through this podcast. Uh, we'll let's talk to you guys later. Have a good one.